0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Acts. Acts, the fourth chapter, is where we're going to... uh begin this evening and in fact we'll be in the book of Acts um, really just a number of of, of different times and so you might just kind of keep your finger parked in in or around Acts. We'll jump out a couple of times but we'll just kind of keep coming back here because I want to focus our attention on one particular person in Acts and we'll do that uh, over the course of these next few minutes. Great to have the opportunity to study together uh, once again this evening and I hope you've had a good afternoon and looking forward to our time together here in the Word uh, right now. Let's read together in Acts chapter 4. This is verse 34. reading about that early church in Acts 4 beginning in verse 34. It says that there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 36 now. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a story that is told of a very pessimistic and grumpy old feller who was walking down the street one day and he spotted there on the sidewalk a bill of money. Saw some currency there on the ground. Saw that green and got all excited about that. And so he rushed over and kneeled down and picked it up and uncrumpled the bill and it was it was a one dollar bill. He then at the sight of that lit out just a big, uh, and said, just my luck. If somebody else had found this, it would have been a five. You ever known anybody like that? There are lots of people like that, aren't there? People who just seem to find the downside in everything and it doesn't matter what's going on, they're just always unhappy about it. If the sun is shining, well, it's too hot. Uh, If the sun isn't shining, oh, what a dreary and dreadful day today is. These are the negative Nellies of our time and maybe the greatest function that they serve is to help us to appreciate people like the guy that we just read about in Acts chapter 4 even more. This guy that we meet here at the end of Acts chapter 4 was so adept at looking at the bright side of life. He was so just skilled at boosting the morale of others. He was so outstanding in his ability to encourage that he had to be given a new name, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And this evening... I need to talk about Barnabas. I want to say some things about this great New Testament Christian. There just seemed to be something about Barnabas, about his spiritual DNA. There was just an upside about him. There was a willingness to lend energy, a desire to put courage in others. In fact, think about the word encourage and just flip it around. Encourage means to put courage in to someone. Barnabas was that. He was an encourager. And I need you to know this evening that just as important and as valuable as that man was to his brothers and his sisters in the first century church, the church today very much needs Barnabases. We need people just like this guy. And lest you trick yourself into thinking that, oh, encouragement, being able to do that like Barnabas... I. I couldn't do that. That was just a very special gift that he possessed. It was a talent that he had that I just don't have. Well, I would remind you to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul gives some instructions here for all of the Christians in the church at Thessalonica where he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know what that says? That says that encouragement is a job for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're smart, whether you're stupid, it doesn't matter. Encouragement is for all of us. And I'm asking you tonight, are you an encourager? I realize that that is an awfully tall order in our day and time of just things are just so down and negative and pessimistic. 2020 is making that very easy for folks. It's all too easy for us to to kind of feed into that and to be a Debbie Downer and just drag everybody down in the mud. And I think that's because we often forget about the power and the value of real encouragement. You just take a look through your own personal archives. Just scroll back through the history of your life. Somewhere in there is a place or two, probably several places or twos, where someone was a Barnabas to you. I remember several years ago when I was trying to make the decision of whether or not to preach the gospel on a full-time basis. There was an older gospel preacher who just proved to be very influential in that decision because of his constant encouragement of me and I will be forever indebted for that. You look in your own life. You've got somebody like that. Somebody who gave you a jump start. Somebody who gave you a commendation. Somebody who said, I believe in you. Somebody who encouraged you greatly. And as you think about how important that was for someone to do that for you, I want you to think about the fact that you need to do that for someone else. You need to be a Barnabas. I need to be a Barnabas. And I'm preaching this lesson this evening because I really need to be a Barnabas. As I studied this and as I prepared for this lesson tonight, I came to the realization that I am woefully inept in this area. I am not what I ought to be in the area of encouragement And I want to do better. And I hope this evening you may be really good at being an encourager. Maybe we'll just take you up to another level as we study about this man Barnabas and how we can be more like him. This evening what I want to do is I want to share with you four characteristics of encouragers. Four characteristics that we see evident in the life of Barnabas that you can then develop in your life so that you can be involved in the important work of encouragement. And that actually needs to start by me dispelling a very common myth about encouragement. And that is this, encouragement is not just about having a really, really special way with words. I'm afraid that that's what a lot of us have told ourselves, that that's what encouragement is all about. Some people just have just a very special gift with using their words. They just have a knack for saying the right thing at the right time and just the right way. There's just some people who are really, really good at that. And Well, I just don't have that gift. I'm not good with my words. I remember a few years ago, Tiffany and I, we were... Uh, taking part in a, in a camp for teenagers and for young people in Lee County. And in that camp on the first night when you get there, you go to the rec hall and all the kids are in there and you start doing kind of some get-to-know-you games. There's always new campers and new kids, so it's an opportunity for everybody to kind of get to know each other. And I remember this one year we were doing this game where you talk to the person who is sitting next to you and you get their name. And when you get their name, you take the first letter in their name and as you talk with them and learn some stuff about them, you then say something about them. Their personality or about their character based on that first letter of their name. And so, for example, someone might say, This is my friend Tiffany, and she's terrific. This is my friend David, and he's dashing. Well, we going around the room, all these kids are doing this, and there's this young girl that got to her turn, and she said, This is my friend Ella, and all I can think of is elephant. Well, that's probably not what Ella wanted to hear. Hi, meet my friend. She's an elephant. Some people are better with encouraging words than others are. And I can say for a fact that there are people in the congregation here at Lakeside that are very good with their words. And I believe that they use that talent to the glory of God and to the encouragement of others. I'm thankful that we have folks like that. But I want you to notice as we look at the life of Barnabas that with Barnabas, it did not begin with him saying something. Barnabas was not called the son of encouragement because he just went around quoting Hallmark cards and just you know, heaped empty flattery on people. No. Barnabas was an encourager because he did something. Number one, as we think about this, the first thing Barnabas did is he set a good example. And that's what we see in our opening text. As you turn back to Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is encouraging and he is leading by his example. Notice there in Acts 4 and in verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas knew that it was not enough to just kind of stand on the sideline and say, oh, hey, I believe in this. Rah, rah for helping the poor and doing kind deeds to our brothers and sisters. No, Barnabas said, I need to get in there. I need to be involved in that. And sometimes what makes encouragement real and tangible is when there's more than just a bunch of flowery words, more than just, you know, the positive mental attitude fluff that gets floated around today that really is just kind of phony and worthless. It's when we are involved, it's when we are personally doing things. Barnabas did not just believe in his heart, oh, this is the right thing for us to do, this is a good cause. No, Barnabas said, I need to be a participant in that. And I want you to notice as you look there in Acts chapter 4 Barnabas did that at his own personal expense. And what that says to me is that says to me that encouragement sometimes it can be costly. And I don't mean always in a financial sense. No, when you're an encourager what that does mean is that means you're going to have to give of your time to someone else. It may mean that you're going to have to give of your physical energy, mental energy to somebody else. Doing something to pick someone else up when maybe you right now, maybe you'd rather somebody do the picking of you up. Barnabas is involved in doing the right thing. He gets involved. He sets the example. And you need to understand this evening that you can do that. If you're thinking to yourself, this evening, I can't do the encouragement thing. Can you live the Christian life? If you can live the Christian life, then just by the force of your example, then you are being in encouragement. I'll tell you this evening, you are encouraging me just by listening along to the preaching of God's Word. That encourages me very much right now. And that can extend to a lot of different ways. Parents, When you bring your kids to services, when you bring them to Bible class, when you bring them here like on a Wednesday night when maybe, man, your body is just kind of aching and tired and you just really don't even feel like coming, but you bring them anyway, that encourages that Bible class teacher. That encourages all the other people who made the effort to come and to be here. When you pick up a Bible reading schedule and you're involved in reading that and you talk with others, whether it's fellow Christians, or you're talking to your friends about Bible things and spiritual sorts of things. That is encouragement. When you just do what a Christian is supposed to be doing, that has an encouraging effect on others. I never tire of hearing of good things, godly things, kingdom things that my brothers and sisters do when I hear about those things. That just encourages me. It just gets me energized. It causes others to perk up, to take notice, and to want to be involved too. And that is the way that we need to think about encouragement. Not so much about what am I going to say and finding all the right words. No, let's think about encouragement in terms of deeds, about what I'm doing. And when we do that, that's going to lead right to this second quality of encouragers. And that is that encouragers, they get others involved. Look with me in Acts chapter 11 now. Let's just keep following Barnabas around and see what we can learn from this guy. In Acts chapter 11, we read here about the work that was going on in Antioch. This is the passage that contains that famous verse that says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. But look at what's said before that in Acts 11 beginning in verse 23. Acts 11 verse 23, actually 22 says that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas down there to Antioch. Now verse 23, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25 now. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Take a look there. There's a number of things that could be said about that passage but I want you to notice specifically that all this work that Barnabas was doing in Antioch in the midst of all of that he said hold on guys I gotta go somewhere and he went and he got somebody. Verse 25 he went and got Saul and he said hey you need to come here and you need to be involved in this work too that is not the only time that we find Barnabas doing that kind of thing. Would you look in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 12? In Acts chapter 12, look in verse 25. In Acts chapter 12 and in verse 25, Barnabas and Saul, when they returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, they brought with them John whose other name was Mark. And so here's somebody else being brought along. John Mark actually happens to be the cousin of Barnabas. Hey, John Mark, we need to get you in this. We need to get you involved. We need you to help with doing God's work. And of course, this right here is the polar opposite of the conventional wisdom of our day that says, if you want something done right, you need to just do it yourself. Barnabas' thinking was, if we're going to do this right then we need to do it the Lord's way. And the Lord's way says we're going to get others involved. More people need to take part in this. And in fact, that's how God has always done things, isn't it? You think, for example, about God's plan to evangelize the whole world. God could do that. God could do that without us. You realize that, don't you? God doesn't need us to do that. In fact, that's what Paul talks about in, verse, or excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 7, Paul talks about the gospel treasure, the treasure of the gospel. What's God done with that? 2 Corinthians 4 and in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, us, human beings, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The power of the gospel is not us, We're just earthen vessels. And yet God uses us in this great work. And why? Because it's good for us. It is good for us. It's good for Him to get us involved in that. And I am absolutely convinced that God could do this evangelism stuff way better than any of us ever could. Way faster, way slicker, way better than we ever could. He could just cut us out of the equation entirely. God could have sent angels to come and do all the evangelism stuff. Angels can probably preach circles around me. But the Lord says, I'm going to use those clay jars. I'm going to use those earthen vessels. I'm going to use you and you and you and you and me. He's going to use all of us to be involved in this work. Why? Because it is good for us. And unfortunately, sometimes that's hard for people to accept and to believe. In First Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, please. Paul actually addresses this misconception that sometimes we have that. Well, you know, I'm not all that important. You know, why, why do I need to be involved? That guy over there does it way better than I do, or she. She's so much more skilled at that. Why do I need to be involved in that? In 1 Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul talks about the body of Christ. Look at what he says in verse fourteen. In First Corinthians twelve, and in verse fourteen, he says, "For the body does not consist of one member, but of many." If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You are, you are a part of the body. And what that means is, is that means that you are needed in the body. You know, your physical body is in need of all of its parts. I've got no parts in my body that I've ever thought to myself, eh, I don't really need that. A no liver. Who needs a liver? You know, they have an American Heart Association, an American Lung Association. I don't know about any American Liver Association. Just get the liver out of there. No! No, I need my liver. I need every part of my body in its place, functioning as it should. And so it is with the body of Christ. Every member is essential. But you know what? Sometimes what it takes is it takes another member kind of coming over and saying, hey, we need you. Hey, we need you involved more. Hey, could could, could we just kind of work together on something? Could you help us with this? I think you could do this. I think you're very capable of doing this. Hey, let's do this together. You see, sometimes what people need is they just need that encouragement. They need to be encouraged by someone else so that they then can come and take their rightful place in that body. In fact, have you ever noticed that with certain people that if you just kind of assign them a task, you just order them to do something, you say, hey, I'm going to dump this on you. Now you go do this. That sometimes people end up just kind of balking at that. They say all kinds of excuses. Well, I I don't really have time for that. Or I'm the wrong guy for the job. But if on the other hand, you approach that same person and you say, hey, could you help me with this? Hey, could we tag team this particular job? Then many times what you find is that they are a whole lot more willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to give that a try. Do you see what you're doing when you do that? What you're doing is you're being an encourager. You're being a Barnabas. You are getting others involved in God's work. And that is something that you and I, we just want to be looking for all the time, don't we? We want to be looking for opportunities to include others. I want to think, first of all, okay, what am I doing in the kingdom? Okay, Once I know what I'm doing, then secondly, I want to ask, well, how can I add somebody else to this mix? How can I involve other people in that? How can I do something that will help to raise another's level of involvement? Can I just throw out right here, just kind of as a bonus, parents? Parents, this is something we want to do with our kids. We may not realize that what we're doing is we are encouraging, but when we involve our kids in kingdom work, that's what we're doing. We're encouraging them. Growing up, when Danny McKibben would go and visit sick folks, folks in the nursing home, folks at the hospital. Do you know who Danny McKibben always took with him? He'd take the McKibben boys. And of course, as little boys, we didn't want to go. We didn't like going into old people's houses. It's kind of stinky and weird in there. And I don't know what to say to these people. And it's just awkward. And they just kind of always dote over little kids. But you know what? in ways that maybe he didn't even fully understand at the time and certainly in ways that I didn't understand at the time, I was being encouraged. I was understanding the importance of being involved in the work that Christians do. Encouragers are not the people who say, well, forget it, I'll just do it myself. No, encouragers are the people who look around. Are there others that I can get involved in God's work? Which leads me to this third quality of encouragers. And that is that when we look at Barnabas' life, we see that Barnabas was the kind of person who gave people a second chance. That is so key in the life of an encourager. I want to read in two places in Acts, and the first of those is in Acts 9. In Acts chapter 9, we read here about Saul of Tarsus, that terrible, awful persecutor guy who's just recently become a Christian, and now he has come to Jerusalem and he wants to join himself to the disciples there. In Acts chapter 9 and in verse 26, we're told there, Acts 9 verse 26, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Well, well, what happened next? Since everybody is afraid of this Saul guy, what's going to happen now? Verse 27, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, excuse me, that's 28, 27, but Barnabas... But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Do you see here? Somebody spoke up and said, Hey, we've got to give this guy a chance. And it should come as no surprise to us that it is Barnabas who is stepping forward and doing that. Let me show you another occasion where Barnabas did that same kind of thing in Acts 15 now. In Acts 15, right down there at the end of the chapter, verse 36, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, we ought to go preach. You know, we ought to go do another one of those preaching trips. They had just come back from the first missionary journey. Hey, let's go do that again. Barnabas says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Bro, raggy, that isn't going to work. And why? Well, because in the first missionary journey, you'll remember that John Mark... He turned around and he went home right in the middle of the trip. That probably didn't make Paul very happy. Nobody knows why he did that. He just left. And so Paul, verse 38 now of Acts chapter 15, he thought it best not to take John Mark because he had withdrawn himself from the work. Now verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Look at this. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. What both of these passages, Acts 9 and Acts 15, both of these passages are kind of way out on a limb moments for Barnabas. Barnabas says, hey Saul. Barnabas says, hey John Mark, I'm going to stick my neck out for you. I'm going to stand up for you even when nobody else will. You think about it. Paul is super intensity when it comes to missionary work. He's practically the guy who invented the missionary journey. He is an apostle for crying out loud. If Paul says, you're not going, well then what everybody else says is, yep, that settles it. He's not going. But Barnabas has courage and he stands up and he says, Paul, we're making a terrible mistake here. We've got to give this guy a second chance. Maybe he was just young. Maybe he was just a little bit of immaturity about him. But we got to give him a do-over. Let's see if we can't have a better outcome on this second go-round. And I wonder if maybe Barnabas is standing up for John Mark here because he was trying to get Paul to remember when Barnabas gave him that second chance when nobody else wanted to. Barnabas says, I'm going to stand up here. I want to give you a shot. Second chances. You know, what's happening here is Barnabas is crossing over from this thinking of, well, I want everybody to give me a break, but, but I'm not really to give, willing to give anybody else a break. Barnabas is crossing away from that and he's crossing over into real Christianity, really treating people according to the golden rule. And that is tough. Because all too often, we want people to give us a break... But we're not willing to do the same thing in return. You see a bunch of fast cars flying down the road and then, of course, a police officer's chasing after them. And we see that and we say, yeah, get those wild, crazy nuts off the road. Give them a ticket. Take them to jail while you're at A bunch of maniacs out there on the road. I can't believe people like that. But then as soon as we're the ones driving down the road and we look up in the rear view mirror and there's blue lights on in the background. You know what I'm talking about here? how quickly we start to change our tune, don't we? We say, oh please officer, come on now, cut me a break, give me a pass. I I was late for work, I'm a good person, I'm not a criminal here. Come on, can't you give me an exception? Can't you just let me go? Do you see how easy it is for us to say, I deserve a second chance. But you or that guy or that woman over there, they don't deserve a second chance. Barnabas was the guy who said, I'm going to give a second chance. And why? Because I was given a second chance. And I am convinced that what Barnabas understood is what you and I oftentimes forget, and that is that God has given us, Christians, He has given us the ultimate second chance. He's done that by forgiving our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. God literally moved heaven and earth in order to give us a second chance. Maybe to give us another second chance and probably another second chance and probably way more second chances than we even care to count. He did that so that we might have the opportunity to go to heaven someday. And maybe that is why Barnabas is so worthy of our emulation because he's always kind of on the cutting edge of godliness. He is just trying to be like the Lord. And what we need... Here at Lakeside, what the Lord's church needs everywhere is people like Barnabas who can sympathize. People who can put themselves in another person's shoes and say, you know what, if that was me, I'd want somebody to give me another shot. If that was me, I'd want want somebody to have enough grace to let me have a do-over. I'd want somebody not to just give up on me so easily. I'm going to give them a second chance. And you know, don't you, You know that in both of these cases, in the case of Saul and in the case of John Mark, both those cases turned out pretty good, didn't they? What Barnabas did for them. Saul, of course, becomes Paul, becomes an apostle of the Lord, probably the most famous Christian ever. And, of course, John Mark, a little bit later, in no less than two different places in Paul's epistles, he is commended by Paul. Paul says, he is useful to me. You see, somebody believed in John Mark and didn't allow him to get discouraged and just dry up and wither away and just let no one end up allowing that one mistake to define his life. Barnabas was the guy who came in and said, I'm not going to allow that one mistake to define your life. You can be a Barnabas too. I can be a Barnabas too. If we'll just watch and we'll observe, there's always going to be somebody in the church, maybe just in the community, who just can't seem to catch a break. There's always going to be somebody in the local congregation that folks look at and say, Psh, that, that person, we've given that guy a million chances. Why do we even bother with him? Well, she's never going to turn out at anything. And there's going to need to be somebody. going to need to be a Barnabas who's going to step in and say, I believe in you. I see your potential. I believe that with the help of God, you can do better. Let's try again. Which leads me then to this final Mark of the encourager, the final mark of Barnabas that the New Testament spells out very clearly. And that is, I do want to say that there is a place for words. You know, I've been talking here about this idea that, well, it's not about having a special way with words. And it almost kind of comes across like words have nothing to do with encouragement. Well, words do have something to do with encouragement. And that is this, encouragers are the ones who speak of the great things that God has done. You know, sometimes we do get flustered because we don't always know the right things to say in order to encourage somebody. You know, somebody says, I just just get really tongue-tied when I try to do that. You know, sometimes my, my words are just not able to express what it is that I really feel on the inside. You know what? That's okay. That's fine. That's just part of being a human. Instead, what you need to do is you just need to do what Barnabas did here. Barnabas was just always speaking of what God had done. Can I show you that? Look in Acts 14. In Acts 14, we're told here about the conclusion of the first missionary journey. In Acts 14, this is verse 27, when they had arrived, this is at Antioch in Syria, when they had arrived, Paul and Barnabas, and they gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. So Barnabas gets home from the missionary journey and what he says is, hey guys, look at what the Lord has done. Isn't it great what the Lord's done? In fact, if you look on down in chapter 15 now, as they're on their way to Jerusalem heading toward that conference in Acts 15 and in verse 3, it says, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers." Once again, Barnabas is just talking about the Lord's great work. Look a little bit further in chapter 15. And in verse 12, when they then have the opportunity to stand up and say some things to that council in Jerusalem, chapter 15, verse 12, all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and to Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. You want to be an encourager? but you're not entirely sure what to say, just tell people what God has done. Talk about what the Lord in the past has done and what the Lord is accomplishing even right now. When you do that, you will stand apart from the rest of this world in a heartbeat. You will be very different from the world. Our world is all about bad news. Our world is all about negativity. Our world seems to revel in sour grapes. Just one scroll through social media makes that abundantly clear. If you're on Facebook at all, you know this to be true. Somebody posts, our government is so awful. I can't stand the long lines at Walmart. I went through the McDonald's drive-thru and the lady got my order wrong. She didn't supersize it. You know what I'm eager for? I'm eager for the day when somebody posts something about, you know what, our government might be a little bit messed up. But I'm really thankful to God that we live in this country. Or how about a post that says, you know what, I am so thankful that God has blessed me with the health that enables me to stand in those long lines at Walmart. Or how about a status that reads, I am grateful that God has given me the means to be able to go to McDonald's and to buy that food and yes, to even pay a little bit of extra in order to get the supersize. In fact, I'm convinced that if Barnabas was around today, that's exactly what his Facebook statuses would look like. Barnabas was an optimist because he focused his mind and then he channeled his words on what God had done. And what's incredible about these positive reports that Barnabas gives here in Acts 14 and Acts 15 is that if you actually go back into chapter 13 and the first part of chapter 14 and you read about that first missionary journey, there was actually a lot of bad things that happened. A sorcerer tried to stop the preaching of the gospel. John Mark left them. That was a big downer. Paul was stoned. He was nearly left for dead. Barnabas' report could have been full of all of the woe is me. Oh, it was so terrible and awful. People rejected the gospel. We were nearly killed. Nobody really cares about the truth. They threw rocks at us. That's what he could have said. But instead, Barnabas focuses and regularly just accentuates the positives as he points people's hearts and points people's minds to the greatness of God and what God has done. Can you do that? Actually, maybe the better question is, will you do that? Not an issue of whether you can. Of course you can. If you're a Christian, you can speak of at least one great thing that God has done for you? The question is, will you do that? How have you been blessed as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ? What powerful things has God done in your life? Got something? Then talk about that. Tell other people about that. Tell people about how awesome and great the God is that we serve. That is encouraging. And that is what encouragers do. Now, if by chance this week you are walking down the street and on the sidewalk you happen to observe a crumpled up bill there on the sidewalk and you excitedly run to it and you uncrumple it and you come to find out that, oh, it's just one dollar. I will hope that you will not do what that old man did in the opening story that I began with this evening. I hope that you will not have that kind of sour and negative disposition. I would hope that you would have the kind of cheerful... An encouraging disposition about that. But you know what? Even more important than that. My hope is, is that for you, this week, let's let's make this really tangible and something we can all take and put into our pockets and we're going to go out here and we're going to do something with it. Can I challenge you this week to open up your eyes and to open up your heart and to find at least just one person that you're going to encourage Think about, you can think about just the whole world, but let's narrow that down. One person just within this local church, within this church family, who is one person that you can intentionally do something encouraging for this week? In maybe one of these ways that we've talked about this evening, how will you give a jump start to that person? How will you be a Barnabas to that individual? That is the challenge before us. Can we go to God in a word of prayer? Let's pray about that. Our dear, gracious God, we come before you this evening and we are humbled by the power of your word. And we are so very thankful to you for your servant Barnabas. Father, we're so thankful that you recorded his his deeds and the things that he did for you and the kingdom, uh, in the book of Acts. We're grateful for that. And as we've read and studied about Barnabas this evening, Father, not only are we impressed with him, but Lord, we come confessing to you that far too often... We're not like Him. Instead, we feed into the sourness and the negativity of our culture and we end up doing more discouraging than we do encouraging. Father, we are sorry for that. We ask for Your forgiveness for that. We ask You to help us to follow more closely the example of Barnabas. Help us to look for opportunities where we can lift up and build up. Help us, Lord, to just do better. Father, we are thankful to You for the encouragement that we gain from Your Word, from from Your people, from prayer, and most especially the encouragement that we get from Your Son as He helps us and as He motivates us each and every day to keep pressing on to the goal of heaven. We look forward to being with Him and with You someday. And it is in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer. And amen.